What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, Listener Mail. My name is Robert Lamb. And I am Joe McCormick. And today is Monday, the day of each week we read back some messages from the Stuff to Blow Your Mind Listener Mailbox. Uh, If you have never gotten in touch with us before, why not give it a try? You can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Uh, Let's see, Rob. I think uh, I want to kick things off with this message from uh, Kenny in Glasgow, if you don't mind. Go for it. So this is somewhat having to do with beavers, but also in response to a previous listener mail from last week. Kenny from Glasgow says, hi, Rob, Joe and JJ. First off, in response to Constantine's listener mail concerning Canada's national animal, the mighty beaver, he remarked that the UK has the lion. However, that's only England's animal. Ooh, I, I'm sure that that is a, a screw up there. Uh, Constantine, I, I hope you, you find contrition about this. Uh, Kenny goes on, we Scots opted for the unicorn and the Welsh went for the dragon. If you must have an animal mascot, why limit yourself to reality? Regarding the beaver, we uh, reintroduced them in Scotland about two decades ago after a 500-year absence. There's been a bit of resistance, especially from farmers, but they appear to have increased biodiversity, reduced pollution, and downstream flooding. My direct experience of a wild beaver was actually in Connecticut, where I worked at a summer camp for many years. I always thought that the stump gnawed to a perfect point was a cartoon trope, but we would regularly spot these on woodland walks. One day I took my division out on the lake in kayaks. It was very warm, 
and the lake was mirror smooth, and the boys and I were drifting near the shore in a blissful little group. From the corner of my eye, I noticed a shadow in the water, and when I turned, I realized there was a beaver staring right at me. It was no more than a meter away, with only its head above water. For a few minutes, we drifted in silence before, evidently bored with me, it dove, slapping the water hard with its huge tail. The lake was crystal clear, and I watched it swim until I lost it in the distance. Anyway, thanks for your incredible work, Kenny from Glasgow. P.S. As a future topic, maybe you could talk about the environmental effects of species reintroduction. It's a subject of some debate, and I think education is vital. Uh, yeah, thanks, Kenny. That is an interesting subject. Uh, I, I don't think I quite realized. Um, I know beavers had been hunted to extinction in the uh, in the British Isles, or at least, I guess, as you say, in Scotland, I think throughout the whole British Isles. Uh, but yeah, I didn't realize they'd been reintroduced. So that is interesting. And I'm glad your encounter with the beaver did not go like that, uh, like that one we, we read about on the show with the, the guy on the bridge. <laughs> Uh, and indeed, this is a good uh, good topic for future consideration. I feel like we've maybe touched on it a little bit in the past, but I don't know that we've ever done a like a full episode on species reintroduction. Could be wrong. All right, this next one comes to us from Ian. Ian writes in and says, Dear Rob and Joe, I wanted to write in just to say thank you to Robert for an offhand comment he made several weeks ago about getting something new out of Dune every time he's reread it. The reason I'm thanking you for this is kind of involved, but I wanted to share. My local library has a reading program that I participate in where each month there is a new category of book for you to read. May's category was a book from your past, and I had not been able to settle on anything yet. I've been leaning towards Matter by Ian M. Banks, uh, the first culture series book I read. Uh, certainly a fine choice, by the way. Uh, but then when I was listening to your show, Rob mentioned rereading Dune, and I knew that was the one. I first received a paperback copy of Dune as a Christmas gift from my grandfather, who recently passed away, when I was around 12 or 14 years old. A love of science fiction was something we always shared, and he liked to introduce me to older classic sci-fi, which I always appreciated. He also gave me the complete Hitchhiker's Guide series another year. I loved Dune from the first time I read it and have read it several times since, though the last time was when I was in college longer ago than I care to admit. I still have the original paperback he gave me all those years ago. Unlike the rest of the series, it hasn't even been relegated to the basement. It's on a shelf in my home office. And that is the copy I read again this time. I think it's the same edition Joe once talked about, with some portions of the typeset slightly askew and other printing oddities like that. It had a lot of character when it was new and even more now that it's rather the worse for wear slash love. With a beat up cover, the corners of the whole book worn to a round shape instead of a sharp corner and water stains on the back 10% or so of the pages. Reading it again now was very special, and in addition to getting more out of the text itself than I did when I was younger, it helped me feel closer to my grandfather. So thank you, Ian. Oh, well, that's heartwarming. Uh, regarding that copy of Dune, Ian mentions, uh, this came up on the show at some point, but I, I think what I said is that the first few times I tried to read Dune, I got stalled out, I don't know, some small amount of pages in. And I think it was mm -hmm. because of this copy I was reading had like tiny print and like weird margins and stuff. It's just not a good physical printing of the book. Uh, and I got a better one later and, uh, of course, loved it once I actually read the whole thing. 
Yeah, some of these old paperbacks. I love them. I love the feel, the smell of them. But um, uh, I, I've gotten so spoiled by uh, my Kindle uh, reader that it's hard to go back to some of these uh, these physical books with their tiny typeset. Um, but uh, at any rate, uh, yeah, this is great to hear, uh, Ian. Um, yeah, um, Matter by Ian M. Banks is great as well. I haven't read a culture book in a, in a while but at this point, but I, I, I should uh, re-explore them again because those those are some great books with some wonderful ideas in them, and of course I love Dune, and of course I, I and I think it's great anytime you have a book like this, be it Dune or anything else that that has this sort of cherished recurring place in your life and or a connection to uh, you know the people who introduced you to these books. That's my hot take. Reading is great. <laughs> okay, this next message is in response to our episode on blue space and on fountains. Edward says, hi, Rob and Joe. I was listening to your episode on fountains when you mentioned the calming aspects of fountains. My mind immediately went to the bucket fountain we have in Wellington, New Zealand, because I don't think it has those aspects. <laughs> water fills up the buckets, causing them to tip out their water in the general direction of the buckets below them before they thunk back to their normal position. There isn't even any regular pattern to the buckets emptying. But it does distribute water to the nearby public, especially when it gets windy and most of the water doesn't make it into the lower buckets or the pool below them. Uh, and then Edward provides some links. Well, thank you, Edward. I can I can sense a little bit of snark in your description uh, here. So I've seen this described as a kinetic sculpture more than a fountain. Uh, I don't know where the line between fountain and sculpture involving moving water is a i don't know what you think about that rob um i mean i don't know i don't I, I don't have a strong opinion about it but uh looking at just still pictures of this particular fountain i think it looks looks great i have no no problem with it uh it reminds me of some kinetic structures i've seen at various splash pads uh in our area uh you know for kids on hot days to sort of play around and splash in the water without actually being in a pool and uh, some of these are a lot of fun for the kids because it's like, oh, is it about to tip? Is it about to spill? And then it spills and, you know, it splashes water all over your head, et cetera. You know, I haven't double checked the sources on this, but the wiki tells me that during the filming of Lord of the Rings, Elijah Wood climbed on this fountain and peed in it. Mm, well, I can't condone that. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but interesting that it, uh, it's been something of a, a cultural epicenter uh, for a number of different things. Though, really, I mean, like we said before, all water has been pee. Perhaps all water has been Elijah Wood's pee. And you know, we, should just, <laughs> we should just accept it. Yeah, how long does that take? I feel like this question has come up before. <laughs> <laughs> all right, shall we get into some Weird House Cinema uh, listener mail here? This, uh, this first one's pretty exciting. This one comes to us from BB. BB writes in and says, hi, guys, I love the show. I'm a truck driver who spends many hours primarily at night listening to podcasts, and yours is one of my very favorites. While I love all the episodes, I especially look forward to the Friday installments of Weird House Cinema. I've almost written in on a couple of occasions, but just never got around to it. I saw both Phantasm and The Devil's Reign in the theater. <laughs> one small detail in Phantasm scarred me for life, but I digress. But you, last, you don't say uh, what the detail is. <laughs> I know. I want to. There's so many disturbing details in Phantasm. Uh, it could have, could have been numerous things. 
It wasn't the blood funnel ball. It was the performance of Sitting Here at Midnight by Hot as Love, <laughs> the uh, the Reggie What's-His-Name band. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's a great, often underappreciated moment in the film. Uh, anyway, BB continues. This last Saturday morning, I was listening to the Queen of Blood episode and waiting for a good friend of mine to pick me up so we could go grab a cup of coffee. The episode was just wrapping as he pulled up. I told him about your show and the deep dive you had just done on Queen of Blood. He said, wait. What? My friend is the son of Judy Meredith and Gary Nelson. I told him that you had some really nice things to say about his mom. Uh, she was, of course, in the film. He said, how could they not? She was a wonderful person and a great actor. He went on. She was in some bad movies, but, you know, she had to pay the bills. It brought a <laughs> smile to his face. Oh, while I personally never met Judy, I did get to meet Gary Nelson on a couple of occasions and listen to some of his stories. I also think you should cover the black hole on Weird House. It's very rich and deep in some ways and very cheesy in others. Fun fact, the black hole was Disney's first PG-rated movie. Thanks again for all the hard work and thorough research you put into all, all your subjects, BB. Well, that is a connection I did not expect, but uh, but yeah, it makes me doubly glad that we uh, we had nice things to say about Judy Meredith, who, again, the the limitations of Queen of Blood as a movie being quite apparent. Judy Meredith was great. Yeah, I mean, we always try and and find the positive spin <laughs> on the performances, and uh, and yeah, it's kind of neat to get this personal story from a listener. Not not since the the time we heard from the guy who was almost skewered by John Saxon, also in <laughs> Queen of Blood, have we had uh, this sort of experience in listener mail? That's right, I forgot about that. It was a sword fight for what movie? Oh, some sort of authorian sort of thing, as I recall. We've looked it up before. It was uh, some low budget fare. Um, it was some maybe a little bit dodgy stunts. <laughs> Okay, this next message is from Pat, subject, Son of Frankenstein. Guys, as always, thanks. Queen of Blood was a cool choice. I remember seeing this as a release in a grindhouse. Oh, man. Great. We always love to, to hear about those uh, experiences, but Pat tells us nothing else about that experience. Um, so maybe it was unremarkable. Pat says, you briefly mentioned Son of Frankenstein. I'm a big fan. No, the plot is silly, but this piece is character-driven, and what characters? Uh, Rathbone, I guess referring to Basil Rathbone, as Baron Wolf is wonderful as the maddening scientist. Uh, I guess, is that different from a mad scientist, a maddening scientist? Like he maddens others, or maybe he is turning mad? In the process oh, of maddening? I don't know. Like, you know, you need a, it's like a, having a, a life or career coach. You know, yeah. a mad scientist good, needs a good maddening scientist, just like we saw in, uh, in Bride of Frankenstein. Right, to madden you up, exactly. Yeah. And that would make sense because much in the same way people, you know, some family names that are passed down originally the name of professions, people called Cooper, you know, they made barrels or whatever. Uh, John Madden's family, they were originally maddeners. <laughs> Anyway, back to Pat's message. Pat says, Bella Lugosi is creepy as the living hanged man Igor. Karloff's last turn is the monster. And a Weird House favorite, Lionel Atwill, as the mm. inspector. A role spoofed in Young Frankenstein. Plenty of strange dialogue, like Baron Wolf in his entrance explaining to his wife about the monster 
uh, quote, which some of the villagers actually call this monster. And then there's a break here where Rathbone's voice is overridden by the train crew announcing arrival at Frankenstein. <laughs> is that, that's a place now, I guess. Anyway, uh, thanks, Pat. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I'll put that on the list. It sounds good. Yeah, this the for the context. Um, if you didn't listen to the Queen of Blood episode, basically we we're talking about like the original Frankenstein classic, Bride of Frankenstein, even better, like yeah. a um, like a shining pillar in um, in cinema and horror cinema, especially. But then Bride, the Bride is the Empire Strikes Back to Frankenstein Star Wars. Yeah, and then. Um, but then this, but then I, I guess, um, yeah, son of Frankenstein is, I don't know where you would class. It's not even the return of the Jedi of the the series. It's the third film in that series, but it's, um, (laughs) I don't know. It's somewhere down with the Ewok movies probably, or at least I've never seen it. That's all. That's how it seems to be discussed. But, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm always open to be surprised and turn it around, uh, concerning some of these films. I think we should put it on the list. Fair enough. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at King's Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. 
Don't wait to start your fun season. Kings Island is now open on weekends. All right, here's one from Liam. Liam writes in and says, Hey, just listen to the Super Mario Brothers episode, and I wanted to flag that Big Bertha is a character named after a fish from the games. No idea why, but I guess it's an extremely forced way to incorporate more game references, albeit with no relevance. The large bucket Koopa is standing in before being made to primordial sludge also looks similar to the flying machine Bowser uses to battle Mario in at least one of the games. Didn't hate the film, but feels like it could have been a prequel to Super Mario 64, given proximity to release. Loved the episode. All the best, Liam. This kind of uh, what we like a non-resonating simple reference is, I think, so common in comic book movies now uh, that we, we've kind of like learned to ignore it, like not notice that it's strange anymore. I bet somebody has written a good piece on this, but I'm kind of interested in this phenomenon, the phenomenon of cramming a piece of media with references to other related media. Uh, I think this is mostly understood today as, a you know, what people call fan service, like a series of mm-hmm. little gifts to people who are in the know, like, oh, uh, did you hear that? The character was named Bertha. That's what the fish in the Mario game is called. I got that reference. And obviously, some people find this very pleasing. I guess sometimes in some contexts, I also find it pleasing, though in others, I just find it a little perplexing. I'm not sure what makes the difference. Um, but like, why is it fun to notice? things like this in the cases when it is fun and how far back does this practice go i mean they're doing it in this 90s movie uh i would have to assume that things like this were happening even before movies existed in literature there must have been people burying little references to pre-existing literature that were just like fun things for people to pick up on and get and don't really have any relevance other than that yeah I don't, i'm not sure about this this might be something to sort of keep our our um our eyes open for in uh, future episodes of weird house, you know, like I'm like, I'm thinking back to say uh, the Dunwich horror, which was such a fun, fun film based on Lovecraft stories or one particular Lovecraft story of the Dunwich horror. But I, I, I don't recall that having any winks or nods to any other Lovecraft tales or anything of that nature. I could right. be wrong, but um, because that, that kind of thing is generally it's unnecessary in order to tell the story it's all about like to what degree do you want to engage a more hardcore audience or i guess sometimes it maybe feels like i don't know maybe, maybe this is just me overthinking it but like if you have enough little nods and sort of cryptic references that it kind of creates a substructure to what you're doing or the illusion of a substructure i'm not sure I guess also there's a discussion to be had about like just how, like how subtle it is, how forced it feels, hmm. you know, um, and that's just going to vary from work to work. All right. What else do we have? This can't be the only person to have written in about Super Mario Brothers. Oh, no, we got quite a few. <laughs> uh, let's see. Here's one from Dan. Dan says, hello, Robert and Joe. I'm currently listening to your Super Mario Brothers Weird House Cinema episode from a couple of weeks ago. You had asked for Lance Henriksen movie suggestions, and I have two. 
First, Stan Winston's 1988 supernatural horror revenge movie Pumpkinhead, which stars mm. Henriksen, and Jim Jarmusch's 1995 art house acid western Dead Man, in which Henriksen plays a supporting role as a cannibalistic bounty hunter in a cast that also stars Johnny Depp when he was good, Gary Farmer, Robert Mitchum, Michael Wincott, and Iggy Pop, with an electric <laughs> guitar score by Neil Young. Whoa. Both are quite weird in their own distinct ways and would be worthy of discussion, though personally I lean more towards Dead Man, uh, Dan. Well, thank you, Dan. I watched Dead Man back when I was in college. Weirdly, I don't remember much about the movie, but I do remember Neil Young's uh, guitar score. Yeah, you are a big Neil Young fan. I am. Yeah. I don't know. It might be one to consider. I, yeah, I don't, think I've, I don't think I've seen it. I think maybe I watched like the first five minutes of it once mm-hmm. and for some reason didn't watch the rest of it, but I don't really remember much other than noticing that it's in black and white that it it and it looks good in black and white and obviously it has a great cast now Pumpkinhead, on the other hand is a movie i have seen multiple times that's one of those um i i have very mixed feelings about it i, I think overall it is not a great horror movie but it has some elements, especially some visual elements that work really, really well, extremely strong atmosphere in certain isolated moments and some really good creature effects and designs. But overall, I think it doesn't really work as a narrative. It doesn't really have very compelling characters. It's it's one of those where you can see the much, much better movie that it could have been. Great monster, though, uh, no matter what. Uh, a monster that that lurked and haunted so many VHS and DVD rental stores back in the day. Uh, you know, I think it's like just the, the form of that monster, like cast a longer shadow than the film itself. Totally agree. And again, as I said, I think almost everything that's really great about it is a visual element, which kind of makes sense because it, it was directed by a visual effects guy. Yeah. So thanks for the suggestions. We'll 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 take both of them uh, into account. We we anytime we get suggestions, we kind of add them to the to the list. Either the I think I have two, you know, yeah, at least two like digital lists going, and then there's sort of the the uh, the internal mental list, and then we kind of uh, you know sometimes we we look at those uh, and consider those, and sometimes we just kind of go with our gut. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, uh, both of these sound really interesting. All right, here's one it comes to us from Michelle. Michelle writes, greetings, gentlemen. I appreciate your wit and wisdom. I've been trying to locate a great sci-fi 1950s black and white movie that I saw on TV a few years ago. I'm reminded of it whenever I thank Siri. In the movie, a woman rejects her macho human boyfriend in favor of the caring robot boyfriend. It gives one a lot to think about. Do you remember what this movie is? Thanks, Michelle. Well, thanks, Michelle. Uh, I do not know what this movie is. And I did try to figure it out. This description stuck in my craw for some reason. So I was like, oh, I got to search around and try to figure out what this is. And I could not figure it out. Uh, I even thought, hmm, maybe this is what chat GPT is good for. You know, that would kind of make sense, right? To feed some plot details into an AI and it can tell you what the movie is. That, that made sense to me. Uh, so I tried feeding this prompt in, into it several ways to see if I could identify candidate films. And do you know what? 
I made the AI launch into a magnificent arc of hallucinations where it repeatedly identified real existing science fiction films as containing this plot line. And as best as I can tell, this does not happen in any of the movies it mentioned. So just as one example, it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about the 1956 British sci-fi film Satellite in the Sky, uh, in which it told me that a character named Evelyn rejects her human boyfriend in favor of a more caring robot lover. I haven't seen this movie. Uh, it's some kind of space adventure that I think has no aliens. Instead, it has a plot involving like a, a struggle over the ethics of nuclear weapons and stuff. Oh, and it also has, a, I noticed, a journalist played by Lois Maxwell, who is uh, Moneypenny in the early James Bond films. But anyway, so I haven't seen it, but in reading about this film, I could find no evidence whatsoever that it contains a robot romance, nor does it contain a robot, nor does it contain a character named Evelyn. And when I called this out on, on ChatGPT, it's like, oh, yeah, sorry, I just made that up. <laughs> so I don't know. These are the machines that our bosses want to replace us all with. <laughs> but anyway, humans out there, I, I think th this may be a better uh, solution here. We, we can consult the wisdom of the crowd. Can any of you figure out what Michelle might be thinking of? If so, you can email us with your uh, with your candidate answers. Contact at stuff to blow your mind dot com. Yeah, this one doesn't ring a bell for me, but um, but uh, yeah, I think we've 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 chimed in before on cases like this where someone sort of half remembers a movie, and and I think we all have uh, situations like this as well. Like uh, like for for my part, I remember being you know the, catching movies on TV, and you'd see part of one as a kid, and you don't get to watch the rest of it, so you have even less context. But being like really floored by it. One of them I remember seeing part of Nausicaa Valley of the Wind before mm -hmm. I knew anything about Miyazaki. And fortunately, I came back around to that one and got to experience it many more times. Uh, one of my favorite movies. But uh, but then there's like another film where like there's a there are kids in a flooded house and they're living in the like attic of the house. And I've never found out what what that is. Uh, but it and, and I guess maybe, you know, minute to minute, it doesn't uh, concern me. But occasionally I'll think back and I'll be like, wow, that I remember that really. Uh, impacting me like the kids had lost their parents or something and mm. um uh, and i've never looked up or been able to find out what that movie was so yeah i think we, we we probably all especially in the tv age we all have cases like that and of course we have to add into that that you know the fact that our memories of movies are fallible <laughs> just yeah, like oh, yeah, all our yeah. other memories so like you can easily start combining them like yeah like the kids were in the attic and it was flooded and then robert mitchum shows up <laughs> and he's got tattoos on his knuckles and yeah you can easily get things uh, um, scrambled into movies that never existed just within your own head and there's no need to, to bring uh, chat gpt into the mix one of his hands said love and the other one said bake so maybe <laughs> he loved to bake does that make yeah. sense <laughs> The other hand uh, had babysitting written on the knuckles because he had multiple fingers on a monstrous <laughs> CG uh, computer-generated hand. It is funny, though, when, whenever you do this, like you try to figure out what this memory is from, the piece of media is almost always disappointing. It's like not mm -hmm. some epic great film or something. It's uh, The one that really stuck in my mind is I... Uh, I, I saw a part of a movie on TV as a kid that really horrified me. And I was like, oh, my God, what is this? And I, I did searching around. I finally figured it out as an adult. And it turned out it was like a Michael Dudikoff movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They don't all turn out to be Nausicaa in the end. <laughs> 
Oh, but hey, speaking of Nausicaa, that could be good for Weird House. That's a weird and beautiful movie. It is. That's uh, that's that's one we we might have to come back to. Uh, one, one of my favorites, and uh, and I also have the um, uh, the the source material here in the house, the uh, the original manga by mm-hmm. uh, by Miyazaki. Beautiful stuff. All right, should we cap it there for today? Yeah, let's go ahead and close the mailbag for today. But keep it coming, uh, and we will come back to them in future conversations on. Stuff to Blow Your Mind listener mail, which publishes every Monday in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed. We're primarily a science podcast with core episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. On Wednesdays, we do a short form monster fact or artifact episode. And on Fridays, we set aside most serious concerns to just talk about a weird film on Weird House Cinema. Huge thanks to our excellent audio producer, J.J. Posway. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hi, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. What kind of fun is waiting for you at Kings Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The, I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at Kings Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun season. Kings Island is now open on weekends. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.